Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Wilson. We've never met. Uh, you know, my dad is from Pittsburgh, so he raised me to be a Steelers fan, okay? But I just want you to know that I am going to allow my children to choose the sports team they wish to cheer for, okay? So, like, you know, we just got this revelation that God's all about freedom and being a powerful person. And my parents didn't have that, so they kind of, like, indoctrinated me to become a Steelers fan. And I'm not going to lie, it feels good to be a, a winner, like, for sure, like the Steelers. But tonight, that's probably going to change, right? Come on. Kendra, I'm not sure if Kendra said this or not, but we are having a party in the basement tonight to watch the game. So if you want to come and join us, it's family friendly. Um, it'll be in the basement. It'll be a really good time. Come at six. So before I jump into my message, I want to tell you a really quick story um, that, that happened this week, a testimony, a God moment, a way that we saw God show up in someone's life this week. On Tuesday nights at the church, we do a class. And as part of that class, we send the students out into the community to do evangelism and to pray for people and to tell people that Jesus loves them and um, just to represent God to them. And so first amazing thing is that we sent out 47 students and every single pair of students approached at least two people asking if they could pray for them. So like that's huge because we often make with evangelism, um, a win we make the goal of evangelism some type of event happening, like someone being healed or accepting Jesus or a correct word of knowledge or whatever. But the truth is, with evangelism, if you have a loving heart, then the win is obedience to Jesus. The win is that you stepped up when you felt like God led you to and you shared God's love. And so like, I mean, that's just so exciting to me. That's the type of church we are where we're fostering that. But a particular event happened that I just, it's so crazy, I have to tell you guys about it. As I say, it's so crazy, it's medium crazy, okay? Um, and something that relates to it, a couple weeks ago, we had a conference here at the church called Moral, um, Moral Revolution Equipping Weekend. And this was when we brought in an organization from California that taught us all about healthy sexuality. And not only how to be um, healthy sexually, but also how to raise our children in a uh, shame-free, healthy, sexual, sexually healthy environment. And so kind of pause that thought. This pair of students on Tuesday night go into the community to pray for people, and they approach uh, a guy in the aisleway of Walmart and say, hey, excuse me, we're just wondering if you could use prayer for anything. We're just offering prayer for people, tell them God loves them. And the guy kind of like stutters, and then he says, Honestly, I'm addicted to pornography and I can't break that addiction. Like, will you guys, like, I feel horrible about it. Will you guys pray for me and help me? And they're just like, jaw dropped, like, what? <laughs> and they pray for him and minister to him and just no condemnation, no shame. Just tell him how much Jesus loves him. And, um, you know, like, if any, any sin you're struggling and you're believing so many lies about yourself, and when someone can come in and love you and embrace you, and they can represent God to you as loving you, embracing you, even in your sin, that really brings freedom to people. And he, they end the prayer time by him saying, thank you guys for praying for me. I'm gonna tell my wife. I know I have needed to, and this gave me like that extra push, the courage to do that. And so what is kind of going through my mind with this testimony is, you know, we think so often on the natural plane, like what we can taste, touch, see, and feel, when it comes to how God's working. And you know, we think 
we had this conference and God came and gave us a huge deposit through more evolution about healthy sexuality. But the truth is something happens in the spiritual realm too. You know, like that has never happened to me. <laughs> I've never gone up to someone in a store and then been like, here, let me confess my sexual sin to you, stranger. Right? So I just want to propose to you that God doesn't want to just do something inside of our church around healthy sexuality. He wants to use us to bring that same message, that same freedom, no shame, no condemnation, but freedom in God's idea of sexuality out into the community and out into our world, out into our city. So like, I'm just, I'm excited um, for more of that to happen. Come on, one half clap. But that half clap was better than all of your second warranted claps, okay? Just to say that. <laughs> um, and this actually has to do with my message. We're in this series called Following the King. And what we're doing is we're going through the entire book of Matthew, section by section by section. And we're trying to, ex we're trying to understand what is Matthew uh, trying to teach us about Jesus and what's the message that Matthew is promoting throughout this whole gospel account. And the message we're emphasizing that we think that Matthew's emphasizing is that the king showed up. The king is here. Not just the king of the earth, not just the king of Israel, but the cosmic king, the king of all of creation has come to earth in the man Jesus and has brought a great redemption. And this guy Jesus, he taught a lot of stuff and he demonstrated a lot of stuff. And we wanna reorient, we wanna orient our life around that king's teaching. How many know that if the king of the universe comes and teaches you this is the best way to live, you should pay attention to it? <laughs> or if he shows you how to, how to bring the kingdom, then that's probably our model for how to bring the kingdom. So that's what we're going for in this series is we wanna be a church, we want Vino Less to be a place where we, our first and foremost allegiance is to Jesus and to the way of Jesus. How does Jesus do things? How does Jesus think? Everything else in my life is gonna bow and submit to the way of Jesus. And I wanna tell you, we are living in an increasingly Jesus-less society. <laughs> okay, like society is becoming more and more secular and less and less Christian, as if a society could be Christian anyway. But my point is, we have a chance to shine even brighter right now. We have a chance to see even more clearly what it means to follow Jesus and represent him in a loving, powerful way to the world around us. So this series is gonna take us years, literally, okay? But like, this is, this is the message series of our life. Orient your life around Jesus. If you're wondering what it's about, orienting your life around Jesus. Just pause and be like, what would, Jesus, what would Jesus do? Somebody should make a bracelet out of that. Okay, so let me get off my soapbox. Let's read Matthew 4, our passage for today. We've had great messages the last several weeks. Two weeks ago, Jordan preached on Jesus' baptism and showed us how the Holy Spirit was foundational to Jesus' ministry, and that's how he actually executed his ministry. And then last week, Luke gave an awesome talk on how Jesus overcame temptation and how we can follow in Jesus' footsteps, how we can orient our life around Jesus and overcome temptation just like he did. So we're gonna jump into. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 4 today. Matthew 4, chapter, verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, so when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
Don't worry, I'm about to show you guys a map. So that was, so what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And now check out this next sentence. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Really quick, those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. What this is recognizing is what I was just talking about. The supernatural and the natural. They're living in the region, a geographical place. And he's, he's first talking about that, the region. And then he calls it the shadow of death. It's not like shadow of death is necessarily describing the region. Either one, it can go either way. They're dwelling in a place, but there's also a supernatural reality about the place that they're dwelling in. And the supernaturality of the entire earth is that it's under the shadow of death at this point. And then Jesus comes on the scene and, and it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So man, there's a lot going on here. And I, I, I want to start, let's just kind of go through it section by section. First, we have John the Baptist get arrested. And John is this famous prophet, preacher, who has a growing ministry. So many people are coming out and finding God through this, through this man's ministry. Jesus himself even comes and gets baptized by him. And then, and, and, but he ended up getting arrested. And the idea is like partially for the message that he's preaching, partially for the ministry that he's executing, he gets arrested. Then we have Jesus moving, and let's bring the map up now. Okay, so here, see this laser pointer? You should have seen my laser pointer first service. I, I had to not use it anymore because so many people told me it hurt their eyes. <laughs> it was crazy. I think I gave one person LASIK on accident during first service. I was like, Phew. So this is where Jesus gets baptized. Bethany, east of the Jordan. This is the area he gets baptized. And this whole area down here is called Judea. It's kind of like a state, if you will. So John the Baptist is ministering there, and this is kind of like the hub of Israel. This is the most um, populate, the most influential area of Israel, this lower region of Judea. Jesus gets baptized down here, and John gets arrested. And what does Jesus do? He goes all the way up here to Nazareth, his hometown. And then he goes from Nazareth, and he moves over to Capernaum, because Nazareth was kind of whack. So he goes up to Capernaum, where there's a little bit more going on. And this journey here, this is kind of like equivalent for, of going from like Covington, Kentucky to Columbus, Georgia. So it's not like Jesus is just like casually, oh, I'm going to walk to Speedway, you know, from Vineyard Northwest. <laughs> like this is a very big move, a significant move he makes. Then we have Matthew pause the story. So he, Matthew's telling a story here. John's arrested, Jesus moves, and he pauses the story and quotes this whole old, this piece of scripture from the Old Testament. And you're kind of like, what's he doing? Why, why is he doing that? Well, what Matthew saw was that when Jesus moved, he was fulfilling this prophecy. And this is really important. Even more than just when Jesus moved, but what Jesus started to do when he moved fulfills this prophecy. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This isn't going to be up there, but verse 23. He went throughout all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction. They brought to him all who were sick, those afflicted with various diseases and, and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. He healed them all. So what does a great light dawning on this area look like? The sick being healed, the demonized being set free, signs and wonders. This is, what, this is, this is why Matthew is saying that this fulfillment is happening with Jesus' move because of what he does when he moves. And then the narrative starts again. We leave that prophecy and the narrative starts again and it says, from that time. We should pay attention to those words, from that time, because it's signifying that it's in relation to the move, that it's a, it's a specific moment in time culminating. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it doesn't just tell us that he moves, but it also tells us what he starts to preach and what he starts to say. And incidentally, it is the exact same thing that the guy who was just arrested for saying it was saying. <laughs> Jesus picks up right where John the Baptist left off. Like if we didn't have the uh, advantage of history on our side and we know that Jesus is actually superior to John the Baptist, we, you'd be thinking like, okay, so this is uh, John's disciple, this is his successor. This is someone continuing his ministry. That's kind of like the frame of mind I think someone who actually witnessed it happening would have happened. Or that's the frame of mind someone reading this gospel for the first time would have thought. You know, they never didn't know anything about Jesus. They read this, oh, he's continuing what John did. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage. And there's two messages I want to preach that I'm not going to, but I'm go actually going to very briefly. First, I mean, what I'm saying is when I read these seven verses of Scripture, there's so much that jumps out to me. And there's two things I just want to highlight, but I'm not going to actually talk too much about. First, John's radical commitment to his assignment from God, even unto prison. John is so committed to the assignment God has given him that he takes it into jail with him. Lord, do that on every single person in this room. Put that in our hearts. Give us that radical commitment to you above everything else. And then secondly, and this is even more impressive to me, Jesus's wisdom of moving so that he could continue John's ministry, what people thought was John's ministry. If you think about it, if you take my kind of like um, Clint Eastwood, you know, like, has anyone here watched 1883? I kind of don't recommend it. It's, yeah, oh my gosh, okay. Viewer discretion is advised. Um, but like, it's a show about these pioneers that are facing every single battle that are going against, they're moving, they're going from Texas all the way out west. And this is an incredibly intense show, but it really kind of typifies the American spirit. You know, give me freedom, give me liberty, give me death. Don't step, don't, don't tread on me. And just like any battle I see, I'm going to run at it. Well, guess what? Here's an example of Jesus not running out of battle. <laughs> Jesus sees what would have happened. Jesus sees, okay, John just got arrested for doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to go do it somewhere where it's going to be received. You know, we all too often equate um, what's the most brave, not backing down thing to do with godliness. But sometimes what's the most brave, not backing thing, not backing down thing to do has to do way more with pride. 
and the fear of man and wondering what will people think of me if I back down? Jesus actually gives his disciples instructions on when they are supposed to flee persecution. So like, we don't live in this vacuum of all opposition, I will run at it. No, we're shrewd, we're wise. We look, where is God moving? What am I supposed to do? And whatever God says, we do it, even if there is opposition. But like I said, I'm not gonna preach that message. Okay, so what I wanna focus on is this idea of fulfillment and the end of the word feeling of Jesus' sermon, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the sixth time in the book of Matthew that fulfillment is mentioned. All attached to Jesus, Jesus fulfilling something. I wanna talk about that and explore that concept of fulfillment. And then I also wanna talk about the end of the word feeling, the end of the world feeling of Jesus' message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, we, when we hear that statement, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we might not think of Independence Day right away, right? And I mean the movie. Um, we might not think of, you know, like Judgment Day or Apocalypse or, you know, the end of the world. But to the Jewish mind and the Jewish worldview and the Jewish understanding of how time worked, that is exactly what that statement meant. That statement meant that the world is ending. <laughs> and I want to unpack that so we can appreciate the, uh, full, the, the, the full nature and meaning of this gospel message that we preached. Who wants to preach the gospel of the kingdom? Right? Well, you're preaching the end of the world when you do, okay? So we'll talk about that. Let's start with fulfillment. When we think about fulfillment, I think most oftentimes what I think about is a feeling. That word fulfillment, I associate it with like, is, like maybe you'd say, is your job fulfilling to you? You know? Or like, what was the most fulfilling thing that happened to you this week? And and when we say it that way, we're kind of like making fulfillment this subjective um, concept that is really just whatever you think and whatever you prefer. And, you know, like, I'm not saying it's wrong to use the word that way, but that's not the way that Matthew is using it when he says Jesus has fulfilled something. It's not like take or leave it, maybe, how do you feel? Is it happy or sad? Like, that's not, that's not the message that Matthew's trying to get across. When he says fulfillment, he's saying something much more technical and much more final. Let me ask you guys this. What is fulfillment for the Bengals right now? Is it just being in the Super Bowl? No. It's winning the Super Bowl, right? Like, stand up if you got Bengals gear on. Come on, are you going to be, like, tonight, are you going to be like, man, I'm just so glad we were there after, if we lose. <laughs> Woo, man, I feel fulfilled. No, you can sit down. You're going to feel the opposite of that. <laughs> if we lose, you're going to be very, very, very unfulfilled. The players aren't just like, woo, I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> no, they want to win, okay? Fulfillment for the Bengals is winning the Super Bowl. Same thing here in Matthew. Fulfillment is speaking to completion, Okay? Something being completed. And then I can actually take the analogy a step further because it fits so well. In our context, we have really been looking forward to this day, right? <laughs> like 34 years since the Bengals have been in the Super Bowl. There is a ton of anticipation in our city, in our hearts, for the, Super, for the Bengals to be in this moment and for them to win. 
It's the same thing here in Matthew with this idea of fulfillment. It has to do with completion and this long-awaited anticipation for something to be completed. So, fulfillment is carrying the idea of a long-anticipated completion occurring. So at this point, Jesus has been called, in the book of Matthew, here's the different prophecies, miraculous Emmanuel, shepherd of Israel, second Moses, beloved son of God, and great light. Talk about hype tape. Has anyone watched the Bengals hype tape yet? Their hype video? Like, this is the ultimate hype video, okay, what's happening in the book of Matthew for, for Jesus right now. Chapters one through four is the ultimate hype video, all right? So, right now, we're missing our Super Bowl, if you will, in this context. We have the who, we have the Bengals, we have Jesus. He's the one that's fulfilling, right? But a really good question to ask right now is, what does fulfillment even look like in this context? What is fulfillment? What is the Super Bowl victory in this, in this context? And anytime we talk about um, what the victory is, we also should pay attention to how does the victory transpire? So with fulfillment, we're considering who will do it, what is fulfillment, what is it, and then how will it happen, right? So we have who, it's Jesus. Now let's move on to the what. And Jesus's, Jesus's what is actually the what, <laughs> okay? So what Jesus actually starts to do is the thing that brings fulfillment. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is, the kingdom realm, the kingdom reign and rule of God has come near. When he says at hand, what the message is being communicated is, it's accessible. Just like how the coffee out in the atrium is accessible to us right now. I don't have it up here with me, but I could go get it. The kids over there, my kids, they're accessible in the, in the child care room or the classrooms. It's accessible, it's at hand. So, but let me flesh out more what, what we mean when we say kingdom of heaven. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that kingdom, what we should be thinking of is the rule and reign of the king. When we hear kingdom of heaven, we're thinking of the rule and the reign of the king. I have another football analogy for us, okay? Which I think is appropriate in so many levels. So who rules and reigns during the first, second, third, and fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow is all, I will also accept Joe Burrow, but that is incorrect. The answer is this, the referees. The referees are the guys on the field enforcing the rules. They are ruling and reigning. They can throw a flag. They can say, no, that touchdown doesn't count because of this reason. They can tell the uh, clock operators, hey, add, add time on the clock. If a coach throws a challenge flag, they say, hey, you actually can't even challenge this play. Everything goes through the referees, ultimately. The players, yes, they impact the game, but it's the referees that are in charge of the game. And so when we think of ruling and reigning, we're thinking of the referees. They are setting the rules. They are ruling and reigning. And now what the, what the referees are not doing is they're not in control of the game. Well, I would say who's in control of the game. I know this, is, this might feel like semantics, but go with me. They're ruling and reigning. The players are the ones impacting the actual outcome, right? 
They are scoring the points. They are playing defense. They're playing offense. So the referees are not in control, but they are in charge. That's what we're talking about when we say the rule and reign of God. What God wants to happen, happening. You know, we, God tasked us to be in charge of the earth and we messed it up. We gave that up. We, we partially gave that up. And so it's the, let me think here actually, I'm losing my train of thought. When we think kingdom of heaven, we're thinking the rule and reign of God, okay? Think of someone exerting influence and being in charge. Not th don't think of someone being in control. So this is exact, this thing, this rule and reign of God, God coming and um, deciding what happens, being in charge, is exactly what the Jews are anticipating. You see, right now in their experience, Caesar is in charge. The Romans are in charge. They of course believe in the overall sovereignty of God. He's the creator, but God decided at the very beginning of creation to no longer be in control. He gave control over to humans. And then humans allowed other influencers in to start controlling things as well. And so we do see God act sovereignly sometimes and, make the, and, and act in control. But overall, the picture of the Bible is that God has decided to not be in control. He has retained being in charge, but not exercising control. And so the thing that the Jews are hoping for <clears throat> is that God will come and be in charge again. And just, just a couple of moments ago, or just a couple of chap a chapter ago, here's what it says about Jesus. Here's what God says about Jesus. This is my beloved son. When Jesus is baptized, the heavens open and God says, this is my beloved son. What he's quoting there is actually, a, well, okay, God isn't quoting it, but what a Jew would be reminded of when God says this is a scripture. They would think of Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, there's this whole description of God's son. And guess what God's son is doing? Ruling and reigning the earth. That's what Psalm 2 is all about. It's about this king, this son of God who becomes king and rules and reigns the earth. So the Jewish expectation, what they're expecting from Jesus is that he will start to rule and reign on the earth. That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're thinking. To them, the kingdom of God coming looks like God ruling and reigning on earth. And we, let, me, let me show you this one, one more time, really quick, in Acts 1, just to reinforce that this is really the expectation they had. And you know, they, they were expecting the right thing. They were, that, that is what God comes to do, but he does it a little bit differently than they expect. So in Acts 1, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says back, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what they're saying is, are you going to do it now, Jesus? Are you going to do it now? Are you going to establish Israel as the um, new Rome? Is to put it in a very modern, like, is Israel going to be the new America, the new, like, most influential country on earth? That's what they're hoping for. That's what, that's what they're asking. And Jesus just says, look, you guys still don't get it, but when you receive power, you will get it. When you receive power, then you'll be my witnesses. You know why they had to receive power in order to understand the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 
The kingdom of God isn't fundamentally about words, it's about actions. If we wanna, if we wanna understand the kingdom more, this sermon doesn't suffice, okay? To understand the kingdom more, you need to cry out, Lord, use me with more power. Because when you raise somebody from the dead, you realize that wasn't your power, that must have been the rule and reign of God flowing through you into that person's life. When someone is freed from addiction, that's not, by, by the power of God, that's not just some natural thing. That is the power, the rule and reign of God coming into their life and freeing them. When someone confesses to strangers that they're addicted to pornography and they want help with it, <laughs> that is a kingdom person who just emanates freedom and power someone confessing something to them that you would never confess to a stranger. Because when they just get around you, there's the freedom thing happening. You're like, okay, I feel safe around this person that I don't even know. If we wanna see the kingdom more, we need to petition for more power. And really quick, another side of that is we need to just have more trust in the authority we already have. It's a two-sided coin of, Lord, pour out more power on me. Like, Power looks like something. I want more of it. But then also just to, hey, I'm gonna move, Jesus told me to do these things, so I'm gonna, in obedience, um, try to do them. I'm gonna try to heal the sick. I'm gonna try to prophesy. I'm gonna, and when we do that, we're just stepping out in faith and recognizing that God gave us real authority and the kingdom comes that way too. So it's not just wait for an encounter before you move in power, but we need to petition and cry out for more power to be poured out on us. So, we have our what and we have our who. The what that's being fulfilled is the kingdom coming. The kingdom of heaven coming down to earth and beginning to take charge and influence earth. And the who that's fulfilling it is Jesus. The last thing we need to talk about is the how. How would it happen? So to do this, I wanna use a chart. Who loves charts? Come on. Everyone else? Hates me. All right. <laughs> Bring the chart up. Bring up chart number one. It's a doozy. Could you bring up chart number one? Thanks. Okay. So, to understand, you'll look at it. Just look at it for a second. Knock yourself out. You're not going to listen to me for about 30 seconds anyway. See how much of it makes sense to you before I explain it. All right, stop. Okay, so to understand the how, we have the what, kingdom coming. That's what they're expecting. Who, Jesus is bringing it. But how will it come? To understand the how, we need to understand the Jewish worldview and the Old Testament biblical perspective on what time looks like and how the kingdom comes. The... Um, the Jewish worldview, the Jew who does not believe in Jesus, who's not a follower of Jesus, because, you know, there's tons of Jews that are followers of Jesus. But the Jew that's not a follower of Jesus, how they understand time working is God created everything, and then there was a period, and then the fall happened. And after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, fundamentally, this age and this world became broken. And... Some, and the way this is going to get fixed is by, a, is by the kingdom coming, a kingdom age starting. And what's going to happen is God's Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to replace this fallen age with a kingdom age. He's going to start a kingdom age so that the kingdom is what's ruling now. And, you know, right now, we're we all know what this feels like, right? <laughs> like you got the pandemic, 
And then you got all the vitriol during the last election to testify to the fallenness and brokenness of the world, right? You guys agree that in God's age, there's no pandemics, <laughs> okay? In God's age, people don't trash talk each other over Twitter, right? God loves Twitter though, okay? We're gonna be tweeting in heaven. Um, no TikTok though, okay, so anyways. I actually believe that MySpace will restart in heaven. <laughs> and you'll all be on my top eight. Okay. So, the Jewish expectation, what they hear when Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand is, here we go, apocalypse, end of the world, this event that ends this order this is about to end because the kingdom is here and it's gonna start and it's gonna be the only thing in perpetuity. It's gonna be the only thing going on now. The takeaway, and, and, he, and let me flush out just one more layer. Primarily, how we should view this fallen age is that it's an age of oppression of mankind. The story of humanity, more than the story that we're sinful, is the story that we have an enemy. That's more fundamental to the story of God is that we humans have an enemy who hates us and is actively working against us, the devil. And then sin comes into the picture and then sickness and then death and disease and broken relationships. But fundamentally our problem is the devil and the, the, um, the fallen age that he influenced us to start. And so when, this, when the king comes, when this Messiah comes and starts the new age, what they're, what, what they're anticipating is a total liberation from sin, sickness, the devil, and death. And guess what? We, as believers, we actually have been liberated from that stuff. You know that? That we have life eternal starting right now. When this, when this body stops beating, that is not final death for you, okay? You will never die again. So my point in showing all this is that the Jewish expectation here. What everyone's hearing, Jesus' audience is hearing is, this age is gonna end and a new world is gonna start. Look at Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. This is what they're anticipating. When the king comes, everything starts over. Everything becomes new. But we in this room know that's not how it happened, right? And the New Testament even witnesses to this. It, it still, even after Jesus' death and resurrection, refers to Satan as the God of this age. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And in 1 John, uh, John says <clears throat> that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So go back to chart number one, James. We know that this, isn't, this doesn't make sense. Because Jesus said that the kingdom is here, right? It's at hand, you can reach it, you can access it. Later on, Jesus even says, you know that the kingdom is here because I cast out demons by the spirit of God. So he's saying past tense, it is here. Not it's accessible, it's here. Like you can see it here. So we know that this isn't the right way to think, that this isn't um, how everything went down. Now let's go to chart number two. This is a more accurate representation of what's going on. 
We have basically, everything's the same at the beginning, creation, then the fall happens, then this fallen age. But then Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom. He brings this future reality, if you will, the future kingdom of God that they're anticipating to come. He brings it into the present before the final judgment. <coughs> you see, there still is a finality to God's plan. There is still a completion where this fallen age, you see this red line here, it ends. It doesn't continue. That line continues. The kingdom, you know what it says in the Bible that his governance, what's it say? Will have no end. That's what it's talking about is the kingdom age will start and it will have no end. So how we should understand things is this. Jesus came and he brought the kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what did he not do? He did not do away with the fallen age. What he did do was judge the spiritual rulers of the fallen age. He judged Satan. He, he maimed Satan. He didn't come and judge humanity. He says it all over. I did not, I, I have the authority to judge, but I did not come to judge. But he does say the ruler of this world I will judge, Satan. The implications of this, you guys, are just so huge for us. Our battle is not against humans in this present age. That's not our battle. Our battle is against the defeated um, spiritual beings in this age, the, 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 the darkness of this age. We are in a cosmic war. You're all on a cosmic, supernatural, spiritual warfare battlefield. That's where we're at. That's where we're living. And we should take note, how did Jesus bring the kingdom? How did he bring the kingdom to earth? Healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, bringing reconciliation into relationships. That's what it looks like for the kingdom to come in this age. So what we have here is Jesus started the kingdom age. He did something that no one expected. He started the kingdom age during the evil age, during this present evil age. He actually started it right now. Think of it like this. The Bengals, okay? <laughs> After we win the Super Bowl tonight, prophesy, brother. After we win the Super Bowl tonight, is that even ultimate fulfillment? No because we got Tom Brady and the Steelers still ahead of us. One Super Bowl, Tom Brady has like seven, right? And the Steelers have a bunch too. What would be even more fulfilling than winning the Super Bowl tonight? Winning it like eight more times, having the most wins out of all, all players and all teams, right? Wouldn't that look like a whole nother level of fulfillment? It's the same thing, you guys, we've experienced a layer of fulfillment in Jesus' coming. There's a layer of fulfillment that's happened, but there's another layer of fulfillment to come. We live in this age right now as people of that age. We live here, but we're not of here. We're of up here, but we still exist in this age. Why? Redemption. Why weren't you drowned when you were baptized? You know, like, why not just hold them under? Go to heaven, shh, you know, like, it's because we are supposed to bring heaven to earth. We are redemptive agents. 
to bring the kingdom of God into people's lives who are still stuck here. Come on. Here's another analogy. My wife and I just bought a house. And yeah, cool. It is cool, thank you. And um, when we closed on the house, we got the keys and we drove from the closing office to the new house. We all celebrated and had fun in the house. My friend, Clay, just moved to Cincinnati from Illinois. And when he closed on his house, he didn't get to go right into it. He made an agreement with the buyer that they could keep living in it for one month until they were able to move out and move into their new house. So they were the owners of the house. They closed on the house. It was their house, legally their house. But they had agreed to let, go to chart two. They had agreed to let someone else still occupy it until a certain time. It's, that's kind of like what God did. He came and, he came and um, brought the kingdom. And then he said, you know what? I'm not gonna bring a final judgment to Satan right now. I'm not gonna cast him in the lake of fire yet because there's still all of my estranged children living in this age that I wanna rescue from it. I wanna rescue people out of this dark age and bring them so that when the, because here's the deal, okay? Jesus is gonna come back and it's gonna be bad news for everyone that's not in Christ. When Jesus returns, he's going to fulfill judgment and blessing. He came and he started releasing blessing into this age. He didn't start releasing judgment and wrath. But when he comes a second time, there will be wrath and judgment for unbelievers. For people who do not know Jesus, they will not have a, I don't think they're gonna have a second chance, you know, to receive Jesus then. And so we're, we're not agents of that wrath though. That's not what we bring. We don't bring that wrath. That wasn't the ministry of Jesus either. Jesus brought the blessings of the kingdom age. So we bring those blessings right now during this in-between time. A way to say it is this, in Jesus's life, so his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and Pentecost, the whole Jesus event, what happened was this, this age started to end and the kingdom age started to begin. If the Bengals win tonight, the Bengals dynasty starts to begin and the Steelers dynasty ends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Opposite of prophecy. Opposite of prophecy. Okay. Jesus brought the kingdom. The kingdom started to begin and the, the fallen age started to end. There will be a final moment where the kingdom age ends or where the, uh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Ha ha, the kingdom age will never end. Okay, there will be a moment when this age ends and the kingdom age is the only one left. He's, it's the undisputed champion. Look at this, check out how long the kingdom age is. Okay, like I can't even go the whole way. All right. I'm gonna end here, okay? So bring up the last chart and I'll just drive this point home. This is everything simplified, okay? Here's what Jesus said. He said, you exist in this fallen age, but you are no longer of it. 
Jesus, is Jesus, let me ask you this question, is Jesus from this age? No. He said, I know where I am from. I am born from above. He came from the Father. So Jesus isn't from this age. If you've been born again, you are no longer apart from this age either. We have a first birth where we're born on this earth, and then we have a rebirth where we're born from this age. So fundamentally, the broken human age thing that you had going on is done. You are not from this age where you are no longer broken. You are from the kingdom age. We live in a time where this evil age is still here. And so, of course, we're still gonna sin. Of course, we're still gonna mess up because everything of this age hasn't been removed yet. But we exist in the fallen age. We're of the kingdom age. So let me end just by praying over you guys. This prayer, John 17. In the prayer team, would you mind coming down right now? Come on down to the front. Here's what Jesus prays. He says, he's talking to the Father God. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I do not ask that you hold them under, under baptism. <laughs> After baptism. That's not what I'm asking for. He says, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus doesn't ask that he protects us from all evil, but from the evil one. So Father, I thank you that we have protection from the evil one. You prayed a prayer that gets, every time you pray a prayer, Jesus gets answered. So I thank you that we live in, come on, we are protected from the evil one. Thank you, Lord. We'll still, in, we'll still feel the negative impacts of this age, but the evil one can't touch us anymore. He doesn't have a right to touch us anymore. So just stand up if you want prayer. Lord, freedom. I just release freedom right now in Jesus' name. Wherever the, the uh, fallen age is touching you around, just put your hands up. If you need some freedom, kingdom come. Holy Spirit come. I just right now, I release the kingdom of God over you. You are free from the, this fallen age in Jesus' name. This fallen age has no hold on you anymore. Take it. Whatever you want freedom for, just begin to say it. Just say it to yourself. Lord, I release freedom right now. I pray you would grant their request. You would honor your word. We put a demand on your word, God. We are free in you. Free from sickness. That sickness would fall off right now. Sickness, people are being healed. Be well in Jesus' name. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you that we are not of this world. We receive your power and your wisdom and your mind to live from the age to come. We honor you, Jesus. Thank you for this amazing gospel message, God. I pray that you would imprint it into our hearts. Imprint this reality, God. I'm begging you, imprint this reality on our hearts. Let us live with this in our minds and our hearts, God. We live in the world, but we are not of it. And you have taken care of the evil one. You have prayed for protection for us from the evil one. We honor you and we love you, Jesus. Amen.